Um, we are in Genesis 21, and we are looking at Isaac being born. Now, this is interesting that we have seen God providing for Abraham and also protecting Abraham several times. And then we've seen that with Isaac, and we've seen that with Jacob, how the Lord you know, spoke to Laban the night before he caught up with Jacob and said, touch him, I'll kill you. <laughs> you know, and Laban said, yeah, I guess I can't touch you after all. And, uh, and now we're going to see this with uh, young, young Isaac as well in his life. We're going to see this, this protection uh, of the Lord. And so it says in verse 1, and the Lord visited Sarah, I like this, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken, or that word spoken could also be promised. In some translations, promise that. I love that. As he had said, as he had spoken, or as he had promised. God's word never fails. It'd be easier, Jesus said, for all the heavens and the earth to pass away than one little comma or breath mark of God's word to pass away. The Bible says that God's word is even to be lifted above his name. So it's a pretty radical thing when we get promises of God. And God always keeps his promises. You can always count on him. It may not always happen, though, as quick as we want. But he keeps his promise, you know. So those guys who name it and claim it, you know. I'd name it and claim it tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Well, if Abraham had tried that, it still would have been 25 years, right? <laughs> well, I've been naming and claiming it for 25 years. It's like, well, you didn't really need to do that. God promised, and he's going to deliver it in his timing. And uh, God is not your genie in a bottle. He is God. He's sovereign. He has his own will, his own personality, his own mindset. And uh, we're not going to push him around with his free will any more than he's going to push us around with our free will. God respects our free will, but we equally should respect God's free will. And he has choices, we have choices. Now, we do see the year before Isaac was born that Abraham didn't have a whole lot of faith in this, and definitely Sarah didn't either. But the time before the baby was born, they were locked in. They fully trusted God. We know this from Romans chapter 4, verse 19 to 21. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he had about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Lack of faith, yes. Unbelief, no. But... He was strengthened in faith, and this is true. We will see that growth in his faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that he had promised he was able to perform. Now, next chapter, chapter 22, I think Isaac is going to be 33 years old. And Abraham offers Isaac as a sacrifice, fully knowing 
even if he were to die, tells us in Hebrews 11, that God would raise him from the dead because God had already said, through Isaac, your descendants shall be. So he really was strengthened in his faith. It just took a while. He was weak in faith back when he first got into the promised land. In chapter 12, he was 75. Now, 25 years later, um, he's still getting there, right? It's always so funny when you look at Genesis 15, 6, and, God, and Abraham believed God. It was accounted for him for righteousness. Now you expect to see great things happening. The next chapter is, he goes into Hagar and has Ishmael. Okay, and, and, uh, and then he has a up moment, sat, you know, circumcising himself and his kids and everybody with them, like God said. But then chapter 20 happens. We looked at it last week where Abimelech, you know, uh, that same old weakness that we saw way back when he was 75 years old, it reappears when he's almost 100 years old saying, Sarah, say you're my sister. Of course, she's 90 years old. You'd think like, hey, you know, yeah, you don't have to do that old thing. You're 90 years old. Who cares anymore? You know, <laughs> not so, not so. She was still a beauty to behold and uh, definite a trophy in, in Abimelech's harem. And uh, God, again, promised, gave provision, but had to protect Abraham and Sarah. And so God will do, as he said, he would do. And you know, it didn't take a perfect obedience from Abraham, did it? Because God's promise is something he is going to do because he is going to be true to his word. You know, as we go through the scriptures, most of the promises of God are conditional. But there are some that are unconditional. And, and so this was a unconditional promise. God said, I'm going to do it by my power, in my timing. I'm going to do it. Sarah is going to have a child. Remember back earlier in chapter 16, or excuse me, chapter 17, where the Lord is speaking to Abraham, and, and, and Abraham said, no, let Ishmael live before you. Let him be the chosen one. And God rebuked him and said, no, Abraham, Sarah will give birth to a son and he shall be your heir. And so we, we see here that God's zeal, God's zeal, God's power, God's will is saying, I have a line throughout history where my will comes in and I will do according to that will. So those are unconditional promises. So we have conditional promises for, and usually they have an if-then clause, or at least it's assumed. It's, it's understood, excuse me. The if-then clause is understood. For example, in Psalm 1, blessed is the man, but this is what he has to be, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands, nor does he stand in the path of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So if you're this kind of person, then the promise of God will apply to you. You will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Example, 
next example in 1 John 1, 9 and 10, he actually has it. If we confess our sins, it's understood, then God will be faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then in verse 10, there's another if then. But if you say you have no sin, I, I don't need to confess to God. I, I have no sin to confess. Well, then you make him out to be a liar and his word is not in you. So here's an example of an unconditional promise. You guys remember in Isaiah 7 where the Lord in kindness is reaching out through Isaiah to this king of Israel, Ahaz, and, and trying to encourage him. And, and, and finally, the Lord says, Isaiah, tell Ahaz he can ask for any sign, any miracle he wants. I'll do this to confirm that I'm with him and I will deliver him from this next battle. And he goes, and I mean, this is, this is a one-off. I mean, you just don't find God doing this anywhere else in Scripture that I know of. And Ahaz, in, in Isaiah 7, verse 12, says, Oh, well, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. You know, God's a busy guy, and, you know, who am I to, to bother God? And, and he said, Hear now, O house of David. Excuse me there. Here now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. So this is where you see an unconditional. God says, I'm going to do it. Whether you're obedient, whether you have a hard heart, whether you don't believe, whether you understand it, I'm going to do this. And he goes on in verse 9 to explain this even further. In Isaiah 9, verse 6 through 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, uh, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever. Listen to the last line here of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So whether Israel is ready or believes or obeys or receives, it's irrelevant. I'm telling you prophecy that in the future, I can see the line and my thumb is going to go on the scale and I am going to do this. Whether you will receive the Savior or not, that's a different story, but I'm going to give you one. And this is what I'm doing. So there's a difference between conditional promises. If we pray, then we can have answers to prayer. If we don't pray, we don't have answers to prayer, right? It's a condition. And then there's the unconditional. And Sarah having a baby boy in her old age was a unconditional promise of God for his reasons, not only for their time, but really all the way to today and into the future. Because Isaac is more than just a child of Abraham. He is actually a picture of Christ. And so he goes on in verse 2. For Sarah 
conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. He is listening to the Lord and obeying the Lord, and he's doing it right away on time. Now, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me, not at me. Someone's going to laugh at them, and it's not going to go well for them, but they're laughing with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, she would nurse children? Oh, I didn't think about that. That would look odd. Okay, for I have borne him a son in his old age. So remember when God first spoke to Abraham, when I quoted a while ago where Abraham said, oh, let Ishmael live before you. And God said, no, Sarah will give birth. Well, that was right after Ishmael was born. And it tells us that Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. That would mean that Ishmael now at Isaac's birth is about 13, 14 years old. And back then when he was 86, he fell on his face, it says in Genesis 17, 17, and he laughed and he said in his heart, shall the child be born to a man so 100 years old and Sarah at 90 years old bear a child? And Abraham said to him, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, Sarah, my wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. Well, later on, the same conversation happens again. And Abraham is having dinner with God and two angels and Sarah's inside the tent and she overhears their conversation where God says, I'm going to come back next year and and Sarah's going to be having a baby. And it says Sarah laughed within herself. Now, here's the big difference. Abraham fell on his face laughing, it seems out loud. And he said in his heart, well, say whatever you want in your heart. It doesn't matter to God, right? He hears the meditations of our heart. And he heard his doubt, really, it was. And, and Sarah's laughing, and they both were laughing, how ridiculous that would look and how ridiculous that would seem. But the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And so he leans back and says, Sarah, why are you laughing? And and then the Lord said, probably loud enough for Sarah to hear it, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Boy, great question. The answer, of course, is no. And he said, at the point in time, you're going to give birth to a son. And Sarah denied saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. And the Lord, God said, no, you did laugh. It seems here that it's sort of a teasing going on because it makes it clear it was in her heart, within her. She laughed in verse 12 within her. She didn't laugh out loud, but yet the Lord heard the laugh in her soul. And he's like, no, you did laugh. No, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. And it seems like he's teasing her a little bit about it. So now what happens in verse six is Sarah finally admits it. She said, yep, God did make me laugh. 
And we got the right name for our son, Laughter, because it is miraculous and it brings such great joy. Isaac and Jesus both were the promised sons. Remember, the angel came to Mary in the same way. And it was also an impossible situation because she was a virgin. They were both uh, born after a period of delay. Both mothers were assured by God's omnipotence. Mary says, how can such a thing be? And the angel Gabriel says, well, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the, the power of the mighty will be. And she's like, oh, okay. Obviously, you could have just told me I wouldn't understand it. But okay. They both were given very rich names, having great meaning. And both occurred at God's appointed time. Both births were miraculous. And the births accompanied with great joy. So if you look to the Bible, there are some like that. You've got Samson, that was a miracle baby. You've got John the Baptist, that was a miracle baby. His dad uh, didn't have much more faith than uh, Abraham did, but he, he, he uh, couldn't talk until the baby was born. Well, in verse 8 now, so the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. Now there's a discussion when that would be. And some are saying three years old, some say five years old, some say even 12 years old. That's pretty weird. Um, so the, the general consensus is probably three years old. So let's do the math. If baby Isaac is three years old and Ishmael was 13 at his birth, so he's between 16 and 17. That's going to be significant in a minute. So um, they're going to have a party. And, and in this party, you know, I think that she is breastfeeding Sarah, this 91-year-old woman or 93-year-old woman now, 95-year-old woman, however old Isaac was, and she's breastfeeding for the last time. And it's part of the, the ceremony that's going on. And, it, you know, I think she probably typically breastfed away from people inside, but this is a part of the ceremony. But in this time, Sarah saw the son of Hagar. She can't even say his name. The son of Hagar, that's all I need to know. Ishmael, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham scoffing. So Ishmael was laughing at her, not with her. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son, referring to Ishmael. Now, you say, wow, this is an interesting story here where Sarah very much, who is rejoicing in her miracle baby, says, I can't tolerate it anymore. Now, you might remember way back when Ishmael, uh, before he was born, when Hagar was pregnant, right after she got pregnant, in Sarah's mind, Hagar was, was, had changed. And she was totally disrespecting Sarah. And, and she goes to Abraham and says, yeah, she needs to go. And Abraham says, do whatever you think's right. And she kicks her out. 
And she's out in the desert and the Lord meets her and says, hey, you need to go back to Sarah and you need to humble yourself. And your child is going to be a great people, a multiple, numerous amount of people. The child in you is going to be blessed, but you need to go back. So there was always tension there. And so I can imagine those first 13 years before Sarah got pregnant was a hard 13 years for Sarah. But now this baby is three, four, five years old, we don't know. And, and, and she's just like, this is it. It's over. It, this, these two can't be in the same household. This Egyptian slave woman and her son Ishmael, Yes, he, he's your Abraham's son, but according to the flesh, that was just a, a fleshly way of having him. And then my son, the miracle baby, the son of promise that God has given to us. They can't dwell together. And Paul says, absolutely. And it's interesting because in Galatians 4, I've taught it many times, it's very complicated, and but yet, Paul says this is a deep theological moment in Genesis 21. And so let's look in Galatians 4:21 to 31. And Paul is confronting the legalists, the Judaizers, saying you've got to be circumcised and keep the law and, and look like a Jew and act like a Jew in order for salvation to be complete. And Paul comes in going, absolutely not. I rebuke you. <laughs> That's horrible. That's a different gospel. It's a different Jesus. Absolutely not. But now he's explaining it to these Jews who are thinking about becoming, going back to Judaism, and for the Gentiles who are thinking about becoming proselyted into Judaism. He says, no. And in Galatians 4.21, tell me, you desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, the one from a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, by the energies of the flesh, by the power of the flesh. And he of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic or a type? It's a very strong phrase. These two stories perfectly mirror one another, he is saying. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. Now we're going to find each time when Hagar leaves, she goes back to the Sinai area in Arabia, Saudi Arabia today. But she goes back and that's where she lives. That's where she knows. And, and so he's saying the first covenant is like Mount Sinai, the law being given. That's where the law was given to Moses, but that's also where Hagar and Ishmael lived after they left. So this Hagar in Mount Sinai is Arabia. Now it corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is the bondage for her children. So Mount Sinai of Arabia and Jerusalem are equal. This is where I get confused in the story. Because um, Jerusalem represents the law, like Mount Sinai represents the law. The law was moved from Mount Sinai to Jerusalem. But the Jerusalem above, the new Jerusalem, 
the promise that's coming for God's children in the future, that Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it's written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so now is. So even at that time to today, the Arabs hate the Jews. And it, it, it goes very deep uh, in their, their desire to see the, the Jews destroyed. And he's saying in the same way, those religious Judaizers will always hate those who are of the promise and who are free. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free Guzik, in his commentary, says, In Galatians 4, the Jewish legalists who troubled the Galatians protested they were children of Abraham and thus blessed, but Abraham had two sons. Paul will admit they were children of Abraham, but they are like Ishmael, not Isaac. The legalists claimed Abraham is their father. Fine, good. Paul wants you to know who their mother was. Hagar or Sarah. Ishmael was born of a slave, born according to the flesh. Isaac was born of a free woman, born according to the promise. Even so, the legalists promote a relationship with God based in bondage and according to the flesh. The true gospel of grace offers liberty in Christ and is a promise received by faith. One more quote from De Guzik. Even as Ishmael and his descendants have persecuted Isaac and his descendants, we shall not be surprised that modern-day people who follow God in the flesh persecute those who follow God in faith through the promise. So those who are religious look down their noses at us sons of the promise. We look ridiculous to them. Look at you. And, and what did Paul say? Yeah, look at your calling, brother. Not many honorable, not many noble according to the flesh. God chose the weak things, the base things of this earth to confound the mighty. So yes, we, we look ridiculous like a 93-year-old lady breastfeeding. We, we, you look at us and, and you're going, you, you're, you know, you guys don't have any candles or bells or incense or big ceilings or stained glass windows. I used to have an office next to a Catholic church that was beginning down in our area in Chula Vista. And, and the priest, uh, more than one occasion, some of the guys on staff would try to talk with him. But you could tell each time he was just, his disgust towards us, we're pastors and we're in, you know, flip-flop, short pants and, you know, a tank top or a Hawaiian shirt or something. And, and here he is, 105 degrees in a black suit with a white tie and, and one of the guys very, very honest, just very sincerely asked him, going, don't you have summer wear? Like where you flip it and you have white clothes with the black? He was totally sincere. He, he just had no, no knowledge of Catholicism. 
And uh, oh, the guy was just fuming. But you could tell, like, your Christianity, it, it shouldn't even exist. It means nothing. But us in the Catholic Church, you know, we've got the money, the power, the, you know. And, and you just sense that. And so Ishmael stays around. He's just going to mock the son of promise. He's never going to respect him. He's never going to laugh at him with joy that God has done this great thing. We're all miracles. And we say, yeah, we may look ridiculous, but we're a miracle. <laughs> well, pretty crazy looking miracle you are. I know, but when we're in our new bodies, riding on our horses alongside Jesus, coming down out of the clouds in the end of the tribulation period and, and looking like kings and priests unto our God, who's going to rule and reign upon this earth, uh, then the promise will be fulfilled. Well, verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the latter, because of the, your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. So remember, Sarah, it was her idea for him to go into Hagar and have Israel. And so the last time he listened to her, you know, he was more than happy to go along with it, but it didn't work out so well. But now God says, no, now you need to listen to your wife. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he's your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread, the skin of water, and putting it on his shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Beersheba was the area where they were close in that area right now. So she travels maybe a half an hour away and, and just sort of melts in the desert heat. Beersheba, there's a saying that, that the land of Israel goes from Dan, which is way in the north on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and Beersheba, that was sort of the southern end of the land of Israel. So she's right on the border on the southern end. When she leaves, she's going to be heading towards Egypt and then the Sinai Peninsula and the Sinai Desert. But she's out in the woods. And it's interesting that, that Abraham realizes that God's going to have to do a miracle for Ishmael. Because Hagar... And Ishmael aren't going to make it without God. You know, Abraham was a wealthy man. He could have gave her 10 servants and 10 wagons and gold and food, and, but he doesn't. He barely gives them enough for a day trip. Well, I think this was Abraham walking by faith saying, God, you're the one who's telling me to listen to Sarah. You're the one telling me to send them away so they're, they're in your hands. So I think by him only giving them this bread and, and this skin of water was really Abraham's step of faith, trusting God for Ishmael. And again, God said to him in verse 13, hey, because he's your seed, I'm going to do something great with him as well. So 
Once again, the law and grace, they cannot live together. In Romans eleven six, 6, I love this verse. If by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it's works, then it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So if, it's, if we're saved by the work of the flesh, then we need to be working in the flesh. But if we're saved by grace as a gift, then we need to not try to work to add to it. And so this is why it was such a ruthless thing. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. It was a ruthless thing. Why? Because if we are walking in faith, we're not trying to perfect ourselves with works. If you're at her church here tonight because, you, you know, in case that faith thing doesn't work, I can at least show my attendance card to God. If you're obeying God so he doesn't blackball you or doesn't reject you or because you want to be more accepted by him, then that's not a faith and it, it grieves the Lord. I mean, imagine if I adopted a little five-year-old boy and we spent a couple of years going through it, but there he is on that day, we adopted him, bringing home to my other kids and that five-year-old kid is just going, wow, is this real? And so we have dinner and he jumps up and starts doing the dishes and we're like, no, no, you don't need to do that. We'll, we'll, we got, no, no, I want to take care of it. I want to take care of it. And then at night, he's going to bed and, and he's just got a little ulcer going, going, man, am I going to be here next week, you think? Yes, you're, you're here. You're like our own child with our natural child, equal. Then the next morning he gets up early and tries to make breakfast and tries to serve everybody and like, hey, does that please you, mom? Is that, is that good, dad? And, and you know it's because he has this deep-seated fear of being rejected. And this went on and goes on. What would that do to you as a parent? You grab his little face and you look at him and you say, look, I love you. You're always going to be in this house. But yet he continues to act like a stranger. Every time he comes home from school, he knocks on the front door, rings the doorbell. Can I come in? This is your house. Why would you ask? And he does it again the next day. You see, this is where we got to come to the place to say no works for pleasing God, for earning salvation, by earning merits, by not being unmerited, by not being rejected. No, it's a faith. And so it's a ruthless thing because that is what has to happen to walk with the Lord. In Galatians 5.24, it says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. All of faith, not of works. Well, in verse 15, and the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy un under one of the shrubs and she went and set across from him at a distance about a bowshot. And she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. I'm sure Ishmael lived like a prince. I mean, that kid, I don't think he did a day's work in his life. 
he was a child of Abraham, and Abraham was a very wealthy man with a lot of servants. And uh, he's not used to roughing it, and a little bit of roughing it is really hard on him, and she starts weeping. And God heard, in verse 17, the voice of the lad, and the angel of the Lord, which we know is Jesus. It's a, we covered that, the word angel is also the word messenger, even ambassador. And we know it's Jesus. The angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Now earlier, he, she talked in chapter 16, God said there's going to be numerous people come from him. But this time he says, oh, he's not going to just be a numerous amount of people. He's going to be a great nation. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Now, I don't know whether she was as blind to what was obvious there or whether God created a well for her. I sort of think the Lord created a well for her. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God, listen to this, verse 20, God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, the same place, the deserts of Sinai, the Sinai Peninsula, not too far from Egypt where she was originally from, but he lived there in that desert region. And his mother took a wife from him from the land of Egypt, went back to her family evidently, um, and got somebody from her own family, probably a, a cousin or something of his. And the Lord says, I, I've heard the voice, and he is going to be a great nation. I've heard the lad, and I'm with the lad. Interesting, you know, because in history, Egypt, Assyria, those areas have always been attacking Israel. But yet in the millennial reign, not so. A matter of fact, look at Isaiah 19. End of that, it's talking about the millennial reign. And in the millennial reign, in verse 23 to 25 of Isaiah 19, and in that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyrians will come to Egypt and Egyptians into Assyria. And Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. If you go back and look at a map of ancient Assyria, it had a lot of area, all of Iraq, a big part of Iran, Kuwait. Um, it was a large area they had. But the Arab nations, basically. And in that day... Verse 24, Israel will be one, not one of one, but one of three, with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Interesting, isn't it? That God sees these Arab population in that eastern part of the world all linked to himself as his inheritance, his family, his kids. And that's the way it's going to be in the millennial reign. I know back when 9-11 happened and Twin Towers got blown up, and immediately my heart was just like, man, God is kicking the beehive and all of us as Christians are supposed to be responding to pray for those who persecute us and wrong us. 
And the reality is, is we are to be praying. These are God's people. The Arabs are God's people. Most of them are the children of Abraham. And, you know, they're right now being lied to by Satan under the Islamic religion. But man, there's hundreds of stories of Arabs having dreams. And in the dream, Jesus speaks to them and tells them where to go to learn about him. And there's all kinds of secret Christians all through the Arab world. But even the Muslims, they, they are set, man. You believe in Allah and nothing else. And obviously, I believe that the 144,000 Jewish evangelists and, of course, the two witnesses in Jerusalem that can't die for the first three and a half years who are testifying, that is going to have a great impact on that Arab world. And I think we're going to see a lot of Arabs come to Christ. I hope it happens even before the rapture. I would love to see that. We had some Arabs in our church in San Diego, wonderful people, beautiful people. And um, anyway, I just wanted to point this out that, yeah, God is with the lad and God is going to be with that, that lad's descendants to the end of the age, just like Israel. Boy, that sort of blows your mind, huh? It changes the view of things. Just like it says in Romans 11 that the Jews are enemies to Christians at this time. But Paul says it won't always be that way. That there will be a time when all Israel will believe. And, and then they will no longer be an enemy of Christians. Even though for us, they're God's chosen people. We'll bless them and love them and pray for them. Well, in verse 22 to 24, we're now changing this last little story about Abimelech from chapter 20. Remember at the end, God humbled Abimelech. They couldn't have kids. And he was totally in the right. Abraham was totally in the wrong. And God says, okay, you want to be healed, Abimelech? You got to go humble yourself and let Abraham pray for you. Oh, man. He wasn't too happy about that, but he did it. Well, now... Evidently, that prayer worked. <laughs> and he has been a blessed man since Abraham prayed for him. That's my thoughts anyway. That's just my two cents. But in verse 22, so it came to pass at that time, Abimelech and uh, Phicol, I think it's actually pronounced Fecal, but it didn't sound very good. Phicol, <laughs> the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. He is a believer. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will come to me and to the land for which I have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. So, hey, you know what? My heart has changed. I was angry when we last left, but not anymore. I'm a believer you are a prophet of God and God is with you and, and I need to be at peace with people God are for and God's for you, so I want to be for you. And of course, he doesn't probably know it, but remember back in Genesis 12, you bless Abraham and his descendants, God will bless you. So somehow he had the information God. And, and I would just say to all of us, those blessings of Abraham are upon us as well that we need to see ourselves as Father Abraham. We need to see ourselves as the king's kids. We need to see ourselves as priests of God 
and kings. He has called us and to live in that place of being blessed and being a blessing. That's who we are. We can pronounce the blessing. The priest could stand up and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you and be gracious. And, and it says, and the blessing of God will be upon them. We are that person. I don't want us to forget in 2 Corinthians 1, 20 to 22, all the promise of God from Genesis to Revelation. In him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who established us with you is Christ and has anointed us as God, who also has sealed us and given us of the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I think of a, a guy like Jabez who just felt like, man, I've been cursed from the day I was born. My mom said, you're a pain, and I proved it when I was two. I proved it when I was five. I proved it my whole life. I am a pain. I cause people pain. I try to bless people, and I curse them. I, I just seem to rub everybody the wrong way. I, I, I don't want this to continue. So he comes back, and he says, God of Abraham, I want this to change. And I love that prayer of Jabez in First Chronicles 4.10. Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, oh God, number one, that you would bless me indeed. You said that you would bless me and I would be a blessing. I want that Abrahamic blessing. Enlarge in my territory. In other words, give me a greater sphere of influence into people's lives. A lot of people are wanting more friends. Maybe that's what it is, or maybe a greater influence. That your hand would be with me. Just like this guy saw Abraham, God's with you. I, I want it to be evident that you're with me, that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Man, I love that. Well, the rest of this story, in verse 25 to 34, Abraham says, well, now that we're clearing the air, let me tell you, there's some of your servants that have taken some of our wells, and I don't like it. And I wanted to stop. And uh, Abimelech said, man, I'm sorry, I had no idea. And Abraham got some sheep and oxen and they made a covenant like we saw in chapter 15, cut it in half and so forth. And uh, he got seven ewe lambs. I think there were seven wells is what he was representing. And in that, he, he called the name of that place, the seven wells. The Beersheba, or Beersheba with a V, Shiva itself is seven. And so, in many cases, people believe this is a play on words. The oath of the seven, or the oath of the blessings, and it's sort of intertwined. These are the wells of the oath, or the wells of the seven. Either way, you can translate that well. That way, and Beersheba today, there in the Negev desert, the southern part of Israel, there in the Beersheba, uh, Beersheba area, um, as we talked about earlier. And it says in verse 32, and they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose uh, with uh, Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree. It's a thick foliage, spike, beautiful pink blossoms. But it was made for shade. So he's planting this tree for future use, um, as we'll see in the last verse there. But anyway, he plants this tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, or Yah El Olam. 
the God forever, the eternal one. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. I don't think that Abimelech was trying to communicate that, but Abraham was like, hey, I'm glad you feel that way because I'm your neighbor for longer than you probably want, but this is where I'm supposed to be. And next week, we see one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, Genesis chapter 22. Hmm. Let's just go right into prayer tonight. Lord, stir our hearts, God, as we have been worshiping you with our minds so far tonight. Lord, we just come and we want to now enter in with your spirit, Lord. We want to be the people of God, trusting in you for great and mighty things that we know not of. I'm just going to ask several of you to jump right in and just start crying out to God. <laughs> 